Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Welcome to Girlfriend It. You are listening to Girlfriend It Radio, and this is Erica Murphy, and I'm here with co-host Daryl Lyons, and we are filling in for Lisa and Patty today. So thank you so much for joining us. I want to introduce myself. My name is Erica Murphy again, and I'm a self-proclaimed strategic planner and implementation specialist. And I've had the honor of working with uh, Daryl Lyons in some capacity since 2009. Wow, Daryl, welcome. Can you believe it's been almost 10 years? I am. I can't believe it's been 10 years. And I'm I'm actually super pumped to fill in today. I, I was just honored that they asked us to host, and, and it worked on our schedules, and, and, uh, and, and uh, to have you on here and uh, just to wrap with you for the next 45 minutes to an hour is going to be a lot of fun. Wow, it's so exciting. So let me just introduce you to our audience. They may have, uh, some of the listeners may rem- remember you from when you were um, here back in 2015 and you joined Patty and Lisa, but let me tell them a little bit about you. So we're here with Daryl Lyons. He's a certified financial planner and a behavioral financial advisor. He happens to be considered an expert in the area of personal finance, and he's an author of several books. His latest, which I'm very excited about, was actually endorsed by Dave Ramsey himself. I'm so excited about that. Daryl's company, Pax Financial Group, has made the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies in the country. He's an author, an entrepreneur, and a community leader, and he is absolutely a family man. While Daryl wears many hats, um, he understands what it takes to plan for financial freedom. So, Daryl, that's a lot to say, but man, you look awesome on paper. I'm so excited to hear more and talk with you. I'm so honored to interview you today. This is going to be fun. I, um, you know, I think that first of all, that was an extremely flattering introduction, uh, Erica. You've known me for years and years and years, so I really always appreciate you. The thing about you, Erica, that's really cool is many projects that, that I've had, you get in a funk where you just are unsure of yourself, whether it's a book or other projects. And I can always count on Erica to be a word of encouragement to uh, pick me up and keep me going. Well, I uh, I happen to be a huge fan, and I've been um, so excited to just watch you grow as an author and an entrepreneur. So tell us a little bit, since I think it was January in 2015, I went back, I listened to that interview, it was great. So tell us what you've been up to since the last appearance here on Girlfriend It. It was 2015, wow. So you know what's interesting is when I loop back around with Patty, there's a, um, a lot of podcasts die, um, but man, this podcast is going strong. So it's cool to see three years later that I can loop back around and, and get in here and see how much momentum that this um, this movement has had. So I was honored to be a part of it. Since 2015, I, that was when I launched the first book. I um, really was encouraged by the people who read it and uh, transformed the way they did small business. 
Um, we can I continue to press into making our organization at Pax Financial Group stronger, and as a result, we have uh, continued to grow at a very fast rate and been one of the best places to work in the city. I wrote a little mini book in between there. I wrote for Forbes and a handful of other articles where it gave me an opportunity to crystallize my thoughts and 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 then and then I just became completely infatuated with a with an area of finance called behavioral finance and I know we're going to get into that um, but that that compelled me to write this this third book which is called 18280 and that one's coming out in uh, 2018 October 2018 Oh I love it. So 18 to 80 a simple and practical guide to money and retirement for all ages. Wow. I am so excited. I've had the pleasure of reading this book. It's filled with so many great nuggets. Um, what's the key point in this book? So when I wrote it, I, I was meeting with middle-class families all across the country, kneecap to kneecap, and I was starting to digest some of the concerns that they had, and I would blog on it, and the blogs were uh, age based. So if I had somebody that was 47 years old, my blog would be, okay, this is what 47 year olds might need. And, and so as I started to fill that out, the book, uh, developed a life and every age. So every age, 18, 19, all the way to age 80 has a specific action item. And the idea is, is if you're 50, you may say, okay, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to open a chapter 50 and this is what I need to do. Maybe 49 and 51. But what about my 30 year old son? Uh, you know, he's kind of in a mess. Or what about my 70 year old mother who's um, having some, some, you know, some cognitive challenges? And so somebody who has a, a concern for their children or parents, they can grab the book and, and also be able to get some direction uh, from the content of the book. Oh, I love that. You know, I noticed as I was reading through it, um, and I, of course, I'm always going to want to give our listeners as much as possible, but we don't have the time. So I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about it. When I was reading, you know, you opened my eyes to the fact that m our money life is divided into three distinct phases, and each phase has a different focus. And what I love about this book is you break it out. Uh, and they all, they have different focuses as well as different threats. I want to talk a little bit about those three phases. Yeah, so the first phase would be prepare. And so what we're that's the long, long multiple seasons of life from age 18 to age uh, 60. Uh, and the idea here is that you do need to financially prepare for transition down the road, typically age 60, where you will find in many people's lives, pay acceleration declines, the opportunity for work is less prevalent, and health issues may uh, come up more frequently. Uh, in one situation, I had a 60-year-old uh, uh, client who became a friend and a dear, dear man uh, have a very successful career in the medical industry only to find himself in his early 60s to get dementia. And so we have to prepare because we don't know um, any, anything about our health, <laughs> specifically in that, uh, that age group. And so we have to prepare financially just in case life changes. We have to uh, be prepared and, and plan for the certainty of uncertainty. And so that would be the first long multiple season uh, part of people's financial life is preparing for the certainty of uncertainty at age 60. 
I like that. That first phase, prepare. And there's two other phases. I think um, we'll talk about them a little bit more as we go on, but just to uh, let our audience hear them, the next phase would be, what would it be, Daryl? That's that's pivot. That's when we want to, we don't want to retire. The retirement by some people is defined as the disposition of an asset over its useful life. Um, and that makes the assumption that your life's no longer useful. And after speaking with thousands of people about uh, transitioning from uh, full-time employment into uh, retirement years, there's much more to retirement than uh, just being disposable. But it's important that you take from age 60 to 65, we call those the pivot years, and actually practice what retirement might look like. And so we want you to pivot into the next chapter of life and spend time from 60 to 65 practicing. And that means reevaluating your cash flow, understanding your health care plan, both acute and chronic, um, understanding how to replace that many of us had an identity in our work. How do we transition our identity into the next chapter of life? I don't want anybody to go into the next chapter of life Uh, putting the word former in front of their name. I I was a former airline pilot. I was a former nurse. I don't want that. I want somebody to think about what's the next chapter of life look like in your new identity because there's a lot of life left. And the other thing is, is practicing between 60 and 65 is um, uh, identifying a community that can be a part of your life. Now, I say all this, it's so critical that at the same time that financially we've uh, dotted all the uh, I's and crossed the T's. And so there's so much work that needs to be done between 16 and 65 that it really does require five years to pivot well. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to uh, talk more about pivot. And the last phase? Oh, that's that's the purpose phase. That's when we uh, spend that time of life where we didn't retire. We're not a disposable asset anymore, but we actually have time, hopefully some money and wisdom, and we reach down to the next generation and pull them up and help them. We've got to be careful in this phase, if we do have cognitive decline, that there's threats such as uh, anybody that's a con artist is coming after this age group. So we got to recognize those threats. But we live with purpose, and we leave this world better than we found it. And I've got some interesting statistics on that uh, I'll share with um, your listeners throughout the show. But if we, if we think about purpose differently, we'll actually one statistic is we actually live seven years longer than those that don't have a purpose. I love that. I love how you break it down. And it's amazing to me how you can take in this book every age and just just pick one and see where should I be. In fact, as I was reading, I started to see how this book and where you are right now, um, this space is really bridging some generational gaps. Tell me what you're seeing. Well, what happens ultimately is is somebody who's, again, who's 50 years old may be concerned about their mother, and I want to make sure that that 50-year-old who's concerned about their mother can get in front of any con artists. And, and, and frankly, most con artists are family or people close, and so I just want to make sure that if they're stuck in what we call the sandwich generation, they have some of the tools to be prepared to plan and to protect their family. I love it. I love it. I can see uh, – I can see – granddad sitting at the table talking about this book. Well, I want to keep going and having conversation. Our audience, I know there's a lot of good stuff in the rest of the time that we have together. I can't wait. 
We're going to be taking a quick break, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, Daryl Lyons. Again, I'm co-host Erica Murphy, and we're filling in for Lisa and Patty here on Girlfriending It Radio. So excited to uh, continue this conversation, Daryl. We will be back shortly. Thanks, Erica. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. It's words you never heard. Do you ever get nervous riding in an elevator because you're afraid the cable might snap? It's entered my mind more than once. According to Elevator World magazine, on the rare occasion a cable breaks, the car won't hunge plunge to the bottom. This is because elevators have as many as 10 cables holding them up, each capable of supporting a fully loaded car. Sometimes I feel a little mischievous in elevators. Next time you're feeling like a rapscallion, try one of these little jokes. When there's only one other person in the elevator, tap them on the shoulder and then pretend it wasn't you. Push one of the buttons and pretend it gave you a shock. Or maybe start a sing-along. What's a word for a person who thinks he's funny but no one else does? Vitzelsucht. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back. You're here uh, with Erica Murphy and our special co-host, Daryl Lyons. Daryl, I'm so excited that we can girlfriend it together. So this will be I, I, we in the break. We uh, talked a little bit about what we're going to talk about this segment. So I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about this because I think this moves the needle in people's lives and how they think about money. Well, and it's pretty awesome. You know, I want to talk to our audience a little bit. Daryl's latest mission is to help redefine retirement, where we no longer think of retiring, but rather pivot 
into the next chapter of life with purpose. This idea is rooted in thousands of one-on-one conversations that you've had, Daryl, with people about money. And it's a relatively new study called behavior finance. And I know this is one of many things that you're passionate about. So let's, let's dig into that. Yeah, behavioral finance is actually uh, it's a common sense thing, but um, it's really, it really got some momentum. And uh, I think it was '75. Daniel Kahneman uh, and Travinsky they they did a lot of research. Richard Thaler. Um, I would even credit recently Daniel Crosby doing some incredible stuff in this space. And there's just a lot of people that are really really smart in this space. And I just I just nerded out on trying to understand what it was. And here's here's why I had a client who I did everything right for. Um, I, you know, their investments looked good and, and, you know, protected them and did all the financial stuff um, and, and really just were setting them up to really pivot well or to retire well. And, and then they walk in and, and the spouse, and this is in their 70s, the wife said, I want to move to California. And he said, I want to stay in Houston. And they, they got a divorce. And I thought all that work for nothing. And, and, and they couldn't live off of the, they couldn't live off of the separate bucket of money. There just wasn't enough. And, you know, different cell phone bills and different grocery bills. And, and I thought, well, there's gotta be, there's gotta be something else. And I found a statistic that I think was very helpful. And it it said that 13% of all investment results was from, you know, selecting the right stocks, investment selection, uh, timing the market and even the structure of your portfolio called asset allocation, only 13% of investment results was, were from that. The other 87%, that was from decision-making and behavior. And so I thought, well, I've got to spend more time understanding the human behavior. And so this idea of behavioral finance is the collision of psychology, neuroscience, and traditional finance and helps us, helps me uh, and others just make better decisions and recognize some of the uh, some of the biases we have that force us into making poor decisions. And how do we unwind those? And so I really started to un- learn more and more and more and more about that. And there's so much information on it. And uh, you know, the financial services industry is 20% of the global economy. And I'm going to suggest to you over the next five to 10 years, you're going to see more and more of the financial services industry really embrace this idea of behavioral finance. And uh, and and I'm seeing it more and more because it's it it, it actually makes sense and it actually works. Wow, that's a lot of math, Daryl. I'll be honest. I love those statistics, even though it's kind of scary. I love that you have the data. And then I also love that in this book, you break it down and merge the data with the stories and help us see how behavior finance is really affecting us here in America and really all over. Talk to me a little bit about uh, some of the money mistakes and what do we need to be looking for? You know, I, I really think that a lot of the um, the money mistakes are are direct result from uh, just us not paying attention. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, we, gosh, Erica, I'm I'm guilty as, as as you are. We talked about this. How how easy is it to buy stuff on Amazon now? Oh, way too easy. Way and, and too easy. I know, and and it's and then we look up and we're like, oh, I don't have any money to to give save or pay down debt. But we have all these Amazon purchases. And and here's what happens is is we really get a little dopamine rush, uh, the chemical that uh, you know the chemical that that gives us a little rush in our body and we get that little rush anytime we we one clicks uh, pay or swipe or even optical purchase or purchases with our wallets and and we get that and then the packages arrive 
and we get a little dopamine burst there when we open the package, but then we got to do it again. <laughs> and um, this 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 pro this is a problem that's uh, that's magnified for people who are lonely. So mm -hmm. you know, depends on your state of mind. This can really be a problem. And so we have to recognize how this thing works. And so I'm suggesting to uh, us, and, and I'm, I talk to the middle classes. That's uh, that's just who I tend to talk to. And it's not an indictment on those that are in a lower class or in a, you know maybe living off of um, some government subsidies. You know, there's beautiful people. I'm not just not an indictment to them. And it's not an indictment to those who are wealthy that maybe have yachts. It's just when I focus on the middle class, I, it's easier for me to talk. So those in the middle class. This idea of purchasing on Amazon or even at Target or anywhere, QVC, um, it becomes an issue and we have to get to the root of it. Why are we making these purchases? Is there, are we lonely? Is there a lack of community? Do we really get a little high whenever we make this purchase? I'm going to suggest to you that you know taking inventory of that is important. And then here's really key point is adding a pause to our purchasing. You know, Right now there's no friction. To our purchasing, nothing. You know, we used to cash and break a twenty-dollar bill, and that just doesn't exist anymore. McDonald's, by the way, makes three dollars and fifty cents more now that we just swipe than when we used to break a twenty, and and that's a ton of money if they're if they're selling a lot of Happy Meals, and and so the businesses are killing it because there's no friction and there's no pause. It's like, should we buy this? Do I need it? Do I love it? And there's no pause, and so I'm asking us. Collectively, I'm asking myself, hey, can I just pause and sit on this just for a little while? And the more zeros involved, if you're buying a truck or if you're buying a car, the more zeros involved, the longer the pause. And just sit there and just wait. And 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 maybe you don't need it. And, and maybe you'll find at the end of a month you have a lot more money left over in your bank account because you just added a simple pause to your purchasing. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. You know, one thing that uh, is that I find for myself is the convenience factor. I mean, just yesterday I'm um, sitting there, I've got, I'm really blessed to have uh, two girls, 11, 14, and we are constantly losing hairbrushes. And I, just the convenience of being able to get online and order hairbrushes for every room, I recognized, I didn't even think to look. I did my best to find the best deal, but really, did I need four sets of hairbrushes? The convenience factor really affects us now, and taking pause makes a big change in my everyday. What are some other steps we can take, small steps, uh, in addition to just taking pause? Yeah, the pausing on purchasing is huge. Um, the other thing and the bigger decisions, um, and I created some filters to help people um, make some better decisions. Because again, if 87% of investing results, in, and I would even suggest that your net worth is a result of decision making, then we have to add some tools to our, um, uh, to our skill set to improve decision making. One of those uh, tools that I think people should ask is more so on the uh, bigger decisions, the career decisions, the the automobile purchase, the home decision, and there's uh, one of the filters. I created ten filters, and one of those filters is should um, did I ask a child, a friend, and a sage? Hmm. And the reason that's so important is because uh, if you can ask a child, and then that means that you've 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 understood it to the point that you can articulate it in a very simple way. And if you can't articulate it to a child, then you probably have yet understood the problem fully, and you still have to, to wrestle with it. And you'll be surprised some of the wisdom in children, first of all. It's amazing some of the answers you'll get. 
um, and asking a friend, somebody who knows you and your situation, and then, of course, asking a sage, somebody who's wise. I'm not talking about somebody who's successful or rich. I'm talking about somebody who's wise and knows how to make wise decisions. By the way, if, and, and it's a good litmus test. If you're not, if you don't know any wise people, I think it's time to take inventory of the people you spend time with. So this idea of asking a child, a friend, and a sage, and all difficult decisions will, um, I would suggest to you, increase the probability that you'll have the right decision for you. I really love that. I love the filters that you created in this book. You know, one of the one of my favorite quotes when I read that um, these filters will help. Uh, help us, you know, stop driving without thinking. Often we are just going along the day, right? And we're just checking the box, going down the list. And I wrote down a few of the filters that really spoke to me. Um, The first one that I wrote down and highlighted was, will this be a distraction? (laughs) Sometimes I'm going so fast and doing so many things. And I have to ask myself, is this purchase going to be a distraction? The other one that you pointed out that I, I loved and spoke to my heart is based on my legacy. Is this the right thing to do? Legacy is so important. And Legacy is scattered throughout this book, 18 to 80. I love that. Uh, talk to me about how legacy-minded um, is really important, being legacy-minded. Yeah, legacy is important to define because an inheritance is what you leave to someone, and a legacy is what you leave in someone. And and the reason it's important to really differentiate that is because uh, giving money um, in, it, it is very dangerous to to people who already have bad behaviors. I've worked with several lottery winners, and I can tell you that uh, money accentuates bad behavior. And so the idea is is that if you have money and you want to give, then doing it in a way that makes sense, that doesn't accentuate bad behaviors, but rather leaves this world better than we found it. And I think it just requires everyone just to take inventory if they – if they are giving money to children, they have to ask themselves, have I passed down wisdom about money? Um, I, I think that we fail quite a bit, and it's intimidation factor of teaching our children about money. And I think at any single age, uh, whether uh, – in fact, my second book was about this, a grandma teaching a, ch- a very young child about money. I think it, I think it really is important. Uh, some simple things that you can do is you can just watch Prices Right with your kids. Uh, you can watch Shark Tank with your kids. The conversations will come up, but we, we need to start leaving a legacy, meaning that we teach people about how money works, not just giving it to them. Because it, it just time and time and time again, the history of, of our country shows leaving money to the next generation typically causes more problems. And I've seen so many businesses go under because the family didn't leave a legacy, but they left an inheritance and it created a complete mess. I, I just want to move the needle there a little bit and really focus in on legacy and making sure that we teach people how money works. I love that. These filters are really helping us with these um, emotional, messy money decisions. Well, we are going to take a quick break and be right back with our special guest, Daryl Lyons, and co host, Erica Murphy.
This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Dinner is typically the largest meal of the day, and Harvard Medical School recommends to take that opportunity to make sure you meet your daily quota of five servings of fruit and vegetables. Roasting vegetables is not only easy, it's also a delicious way to serve them. You can roast any vegetable from zucchini, peppers, eggplant, mushrooms, onions, to carrots, cauliflower, and broccoli. To roast them, cut the vegetables up and place on a cookie sheet lined with foil. Drizzle a little olive oil over them and sprinkle with pepper. Cook them at 375 degrees for 25 minutes. Savor roasted vegetables as a side dish or toss them in a salad or pasta. When you pile on the produce for dinner, there is less room for unhealthy food. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back. Welcome back, our audience. This is Erica Murphy, and we are co-hosting for Lisa and Patty. I'm here with Daryl Lyons. Welcome back, Daryl. They're listening to uh, Girlfriend It Radio on Toginet. So, Daryl, are you with us? All right. For our audience, I've been interviewing Daryl Lyons. He's an author, a personal finance expert, and an ambitious entrepreneur. Daryl knows what it means to run a business and live in the middle class. Uh, Now he's ready to help us achieve the dream of financial freedom so we can enjoy life. And we're here. Daryl, welcome back. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this segment. This, this, will, this will be a fun one. I'm so excited. We just finished up a little bit about behavior of finance, and you did such a great job explaining that to us and how uh, those little decisions are affected for sure. Now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about your heart for the middle class. Uh, you certainly know what it's like to live um, in the middle class. And what are some of the money challenges unique to the middle class? So the middle class is in trouble. Um, and I'm a part of that middle class and uh, there's real threats. So for example, in 1975, our savings rate was 17%. And now we're only saving three and a half percent. But here's the thing. We don't have less information. We have so much more information than we've ever had. And so you have to ask yourself, why, why aren't we moving the needle? Why aren't we saving more? 
it's not information. We don't need more information. We've got plenty of it. And I, I can't help but think there's there's just behavioral things. Now, to the middle class's defense, we do have some challenges, uh, healthcare being one of them. It's so expensive right now. I mean, it just hurts. And I, and I feel for it. We've had people in our office on multiple occasions cry because um, premiums went up or their health care bills are too high. So I get that. But let's let's push through that and let's look at the things that we can control, many of which are our own purchasing decisions. And and there's some major threats that I'd like to discuss, Erica, whenever you feel comfortable that, that I think the middle class needs to know about. Well, um, I uh, I think we should dig right in. I definitely uh, want to talk about some of the problems and what um, what we need to look out for. So the 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 big one I wanted to I want to talk about is the threat of um, marketers. Now marketers and many people, including myself, I'm a marketing person. I mean, we have businesses and we have to sell our product, but it's becoming really really. Um, mischievous would be a, a kind way to describe it. I mean, what they do now, um, they can put the smell of apple pies in an appliance store and sales go up 23%. Wow. Um, we can, you know, in, in, in the 70s, again, we, this, the, the, I think it was GMC that started um, the rebates of $3,000 rebate. And, you know, they could just discount the cars, right? But they give this rebate and, and sales soared. Um, you can get some, some companies will give you chocolates before you go in a luxury good, good store. And, and they know that that chocolate increases buying. They're so, so brilliant now. And the middle class during Christmas time, it, this super, the Super Bowl of marketers is Christmas. And, and we're just not equipped to handle this. And it is, it's really becoming an issue. It's exasperated. I'll tell you, it's exasperated because of social media and Facebook. You know, I, I know that oftentimes I'll see friends that they're going to Cabo in the summer, man, or that's a nice, a pool or a nice car or their kids are going where, and, and you just, you, you say you brush it off, but we have to ask ourselves, how much does that really seep into us and, and kind of beat us up financially? And how much does that influence our decision? There was a, there's been a number of studies in this space that I know there was one done in Stanford that, that studied people who sat next to um, others on a plane. They were 30% more likely to buy if the person right next to them uh, bought something like a, you know, an adult beverage or something. They're 30% more likely to buy an adult, an, an adult beverage. So we know research has shown over and over again that we're absolutely influenced by peers. As much as we say we're not, we are. And then uh, before you know it, we're out of money because we've been making all these little purchases and marketers are just killing us. They're beating us up in the middle class. All of those little purchases really add up, don't they? It's just amazing to me. In in our home, we have unexpected purchases that come up, emergencies that come up, um, even down to when I'm planning for meals. I know uh, our audience can find some of your writing on Forbes Daryl, and I remember you wrote an article about how we can calculate for our food. And we'll put the link uh, on the formula on Patty and Lisa's website. But talk to me a little bit about how a family of four or a family of six can be really careful with those uh, expenses that come up. Yeah, so that research is uh, from the USDA. They have a they have this chart. It's really cool that I say it's cool. <laughs> um, it uh, 
it shows you what you should be spending. A normal household in America should be spending on groceries. And I mean, we don't have a point of reference. We just, we buy what we think we need. And so it shows, okay, an average household, um, uh, a, a household that would be on the high end, the low end. And, and then you just got to get a pull. So I have a family of six, so, and I have a teenage boy. So as a result, I'm going to spend a little bit more money but at least it gives me a pulse of if I'm in the ballpark or not. So I, I needed that. You know, I had a lot of clients tell me, how much should I be spending for groceries? And I really didn't have a point of reference, but I found this. And USDA updates it, and it just becomes a nice conversation piece and a point of reference. Um, and, and food spending is really an issue. And you know what? Interestingly enough, uh, food grocery spending is expensive, of course. And um, But, you know, the first time ever, I think it was last year, it might have been the year before, in our country, the first time ever that dining out became, um, we, we dined out, we spent more money dining out than eating at home. That's the first time in ever. And so groceries are really important to keep in, within constraints. You know, the easiest way is to go in with a list and don't go in hungry. You've heard this before. Uh, but the other one that I think you got to watch out for is this dining out thing. I mean, how quickly um, this Chick-fil-A and, and Whataburger uh, steal our $10, $15, $20. It just adds up. And and so you got to kind of get ahead of that one, too, because that one's really, really um, eating our lunch. Is that good? Yes, no yeah. no <laughs> pun okay? intended. I love the good puns. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, you bring up food, going out. I know uh, for myself, uh, we have to be really careful. I happen to be married, and I'm actually married to an entrepreneur, and as we look ahead, you know, we're doing our best to save costs on the front end. But as we are looking at the back end of our um, life together and into retirement, talk to me a little bit about entrepreneurism and planning for retirement. Yeah. So there's a, you know, the entrepreneur word is, is very broad in its scope. There's, there's solopreneurs who are, um, who don't have a, uh, that they don't have a uh, an employee. Um, they are at their house and, and maybe doing podcasting or consulting. Um, but then there's also people that have um, uh, complex businesses with inventory, accounts receivable, accounts payable. So the idea is across the board. Uh, and I and I by the way, I've I've had a chance to talk with some of the most successful solopreneurs in the country about their personal finances. And the message I give to solopreneurs is you've got to create your, you've got to increase your net worth. You've got to create something that's sellable, that's transfer, transferable. If it's just you, uh, I think that you can certainly earn a good living and have a good lifestyle. But what can you do to develop something tangible that somebody is willing to buy? And so that'll be the challenge for the solopreneurs is begin with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey says, and create something that's tangible, product or resources, um, something valuable. And those that have a more complex business with some employees, uh, we do have to begin the, uh, begin with the end in mind and create some curb appeal, uh, meaning that you know if we were to sell our house, if we had an idea of selling our house, there's no doubt we'd spend some time uh, getting our house ready, uh, getting the landscaping pretty, getting the, the walls painted possibly. But with our business, sometimes we just as business owners, I've seen it time and time again, we just wake up and then we decide to sell. I think it's important to get your business in order. And that means, this is the key point, that means your financials need to look a certain way. You need to have th at least three years of a positive trend in net income. That's key. And it just starts there. Three years of a trend of positive net income. And so there are some things that you do. And that's that when you're ready to transition, 
that's called the pivot stage. So as a business owner, you, that's your pivoting time is getting that business the right way. So it sells for maximum value. I love that. So Daryl, uh, I wanted to just tell our audience again, you've got a new book coming out, a simple and practical guide to money and retirement for all ages, 18 to 80. And I think it's really important. I, I find it uh, really cool that Dave Ramsey, best-selling author and nationally syndicated radio host, um, quoted, no one accidentally wins with money. It takes careful planning to avoid the money mistakes that derail so many folks today. Daryl Lyons shares where many of those financial landmines are planted so you can move forward and uh, secure a future. I am just so excited. Um, tell me this pivot idea. How is it different than retirement? See, I, I don't want people to retire. I think that, you know, we've got to, and, and you can even, if you're younger, you might even mention this to your parents. Don't let them retire. Let them pivot into the next chapter with purpose uh, around a community, a calling, usually found in their life story. So if there's something in their life story that, that uh, well, we all have a life story, but the climax of their story, usually the painful moment, a point of turnaround for them, usually they can find their purpose embedded in their life story and then they're called in the second chapter of life to reach down in the next generation and make the world better than we found it and that's what it means to pivot and retirement is retirement is fox news and flower beds as far as i'm concerned but pivoting is much more than that i love how you're just changing the definition and you've um you've really helped us focus on how we can make a real impact uh, through pivoting. I'm so excited about that. Now, we are going to continue our interview. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break. And Daryl, I can see there is so much gold here uh, in this book, 18 to 80. I'm so excited that um, I have this chance to talk to you a little bit more about it. You know, when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit to business owners. I really want our audience to stay tuned. I know that we have a lot going on, uh, but I think you're going to find some really good information uh, for business owners coming up in the next segment. And so again, I'm Erica Murphy and I'm here with Daryl Lyons and we are standing in for Patty and Lisa. We are so excited to be with you guys and can't wait for you to come back soon. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Sleep deprivation is not good for multiple reasons. But did you know that it could be one of the culprits that's making you gain weight? 
sleep deprivation has an impact on cognitive restraint. When you are overly tired, foods that are high fat and high calorie can be even more tempting. And because you are deprived of the proper amount of sleep, you may not be able to restrain yourself like you would if you were rested. According to Columbia University researchers, sleep deprivation can lead to more calories consumed. They found that women who only got four hours of sleep the night before ate 329 more calories in a nine-hour period compared to those who weren't sleep-deprived. And men ate 263 more calories when sleep-deprived. So get the proper amount of sleep and keep your calorie consumption down. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome, welcome back. We continue our great conversation. Uh, you are here with guest host Erica Murphy, and I am interviewing Daryl Lyons. Uh, we are standing in for Patty and Lisa here on Girlfriending. Girlfriend it, excuse me. I am so excited. I really am loving this conversation. Daryl, thank you so much for uh, being here with me. And I wanted to talk to our business owners out there. For those business owners listening, Daryl's San Antonio, Texas company, Pax Financial Group, is an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. And it happens to be a best place to work. His work and his passion have allowed Daryl to also give back to his community, community, and he's earned so much praise of many leaders here in our San Antonio community. I happen to be able to work alongside Daryl and have for years. It's just, you know, Daryl, I, I have to take this time to thank you. You have really made uh, an impact on uh, my work and my home life, just with the principles that you've established at PAX. So I don't think I've ever had the chance to just formally thank you to an audience, but um, you've been a real gift in my life, and I, I treasure you. Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot. And um, that's what gets me up in the morning is not to hear that, but just to do it. So, I, But uh, hearing it's great. It really does. It's encouraging to me. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about business owners. And I know we uh, we keep talking about your book and uh, how much good stuff is in there. We um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the common mistakes that small business owners make. Can you give us some info? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and again, small business owners across the board have various uh, types of businesses um, but I'm going to suggest that there was uh, two things that I think that need to be expressed. One is uh, early on, and many of you, you entrepreneurs listening figured this out, maybe the hard way, is you got you, you have to set money aside for taxes. Set 25% of your money uh, aside for taxes, and uh, don't spend that money. I did it. I did it early in my career, you know, and I have a couple degrees in in finance, and um, I, you know, I knew I knew you had to pay taxes, but I just I was in my early 20s and I'd rather do other things. And so I found myself waking up with a, a tax bill. I think it was $11,000. Wow. Well, yeah, and, and especially when you're broke, right? And so yes. I called the IRS and I and I talked to this lady and I'm, I was just trying to figure out how to get out of it and I'll never forget her saying she said, "Son, 
just pay the bill and never do it again? I was like, yes, ma'am. Uh, I'd love that. <laughs> That's good advice. I don't recommend anybody calling the IRS, nor would I expect a response like that. But she was real kind, and I just I just made payments and paid it off and never did it again. And it was expensive, but it's a stupid tax. So yeah, you got to pay your taxes and set that twenty five percent aside, and that's just a general number. But you got to do that, get in that habit. Um, the other thing is, is that you really need to set up an advisory council. Uh, people don't do this enough. There's wisdom in the council of advisors, and so. Um, on multiple occasions, I've had advisory councils, and they've served me very well. They've helped clear up messy minds. Uh, you may find for three or four months they, uh, uh, they're not doing anything for you, but then you hit this one decision wall, and they're, they're your lifeline. So the way I did it, I'll give you some practical ways of doing it. Um, I identified, I think it was five, maybe six people who had, um, for me, I wanted them to be entrepreneurs or business people so they could understand some of the challenges. Uh, they didn't necessarily have to be in my industry. That was uh, really not really necessary. Uh, I wanted them to have the same values as me because I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to, you know, have questionable values. I wanted to have a basis for a uh, common ground. And then um, they uh, just had to, uh, you know, be somebody I looked up to more or less. And so what I did is I, I I sent them an email or I called them. I think I did both at the time. I'm trying to remember how I actually got it started, but. Um, but but either way, I communicated with them and told them I would like to, them to be on my advisory council. I'd be very honored. Uh, the parameters were this. I asked them to do it for two years, and uh, I would uh, just call them if I ever had any issues and uh, or shoot them an email. I'd try to be very discreet. I wouldn't let anybody know that they were on the advisory council, uh, so that way – uh, any assumptions that they may be associated and have a, 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 a kind of an indirect liability to a company, I just did, I wanted to put that aside so no one would know that they were on an advisory council for our company. And then I told them once a year I'd like to uh, take you out for lunch uh, as a group. So we did it as a group where I'd pay for everyone's lunch. And over a long lunch, we usually went from, let's say, 10 to 1, so it was very robust. I would unpack my business with them and uh, get feedback. And, and, and what happened was this group of people, they certainly became endeared to me, which was an awesome indirect consequence. But uh, they had a lot of fun doing it too because they were, uh, they were giving back, but they were also learning along the way. They got some ideas from me that they never thought of. And so it just became a collective uh, brain trust. And they became my lifeline when I had to make difficult decisions, whether it's acquisitions or mergers or expansions or employee-related issues. Uh, I remember one issue where um, I was trying to debate – Erica, you're going to find this funny um, – but I was debating on whether or not I should invest in a, in a marketing strategy to expand or give my employees a raise. And I mm -hmm. was really stuck on that because – I saw a great opportunity expand, and and I thought, well, you know, I can then give raises later. And somebody on my advisory council said, you know, you, you know, he he gathered more information, but it came down to it: you need to give your employees a raise. And and I think that that made that decision clearer. So, you know, we as business owners, it's just hard sometimes to make good decisions. And again, I keep saying this: eighty-seven percent of our investment results and net worth is from our decision making. And so, when you have an advisory council you're more likely to make the right decision. Um, and without that counsel, you're more likely to make a decision rooted in emotion or biases. I really like that. That's a, 
That's really great advice. I think it's interesting, you know, as I've read through your book, which I keep going on and on about how much I, I love it. And I think it's because um, every age is captured with something they can do right now to make a long-term impact. And I think that often sometimes we get stuck and we don't know what to do. You know, here at PAX Financial Group, we have, um, you know, co-workers of all, various ages at all different stages of life. And we see business owners come in and often they'll come in and just talk about their own um, financial health. But what about those business owners that are looking at the generation uh, ahead of them and saying, okay, how do I handle my aging parents? They're working so hard building something for themselves. Do you have any advice for them? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, there's so much pressure in the, um, in the, in, in the life of a business owner. And then you add an aging parent. Uh, the key element to the aging parent situation is to uh, have a high degree of communication specifically with siblings because siblings will typically, um, <clears throat> default to whoever has the most time and whoever has the most money, you're responsible. And, and, and there's, there's resentment with that approach. And so getting the siblings together and just, kind of unpacking life and saying, how do we resolve this equitable, equitably so everyone helps mom and dad is really the key element to that. Oh, that's, that's really good. You know, you talk a lot about uh, spousal alignment. And tell me a little bit about how you see spousal alignment being so important in money decisions. So yeah, the easiest way to become a millionaire is to be a billionaire and get a divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the things that I see over and over again is that we, um, as, um, spouses have coping mechanisms that we set up and that just becomes our default way of living. And then we wake up later in life, maybe the kids are gone and we've deviated from what we once had. And so, and some of it is, um, you know, just the busyness of life and not going on dates. You know, I, I still date my wife. I call her, I've done this for years. I call her every day at uh, 10 and two I and really, really focused in and on making sure that our relationship is strong. Uh, it's just a real key thing for me. And <clears throat> one of the things that happens is, uh, our concerns, one of uh, about four points here, hopefully I can remember them all, but um, one of them are, are concerns change. Um, a spouse might be concerned about health and the other one might have a concern about um, their financial status. And so getting those concerns aligned and respecting each other's concerns is important. Expectations, very important. Um, uh, goals, uh, where are we going to live? What are we going to buy? Are we going to RV? Are we going to travel to Europe? Um, and then values, making sure that we have the same values. Is family a priority or is um, cool weather a priority? And getting all those things aligned takes some time and effort, but but really that's so critical uh, for the financial well-being of a household. It is. It is so important. And I love that you, even here at PAX, continue to um, encourage that spousal alignment and lead by example by showing us um, in so many ways how we can address our spouse's concerns and put them at, as priority. And I, again, am so excited about your new book coming out. It's uh, 18 to 80. And when does it release? 
So we'll release it in October 2018, and it uh, should be the 16th of October. Um, yeah, and so we're excited about that launch. And I'll have an audio book. I might launch that one a little later. I recorded it already, and it was, uh, man, it was a lot of work. But I did it myself this time. And so hopefully the final product is is one where people can hear my heart in the book. So let's tell our audience they can order your book. Uh, where can they find it? So you can get it on Amazon. Um, we'll also have a link at paxfinancialgroup.com slash pivot. So we'll have a link on there. And I love that. They can download a free chapter of the book and get a little taste of um, all of that goodness for sure. Yeah. Well, I am so excited. They can find you at Pax Financial Group forward slash pivot. And we can find you on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Anything else you want? Best tip for our listeners as we end and maybe how about Daryl, you give us uh, some of your, one of your favorite quotes. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll leave you with this. They, there was a great study on fast company magazine. They asked a group of 90 year old women, if you could do anything different in life, what would you do different? And they said that they would do three things different. They would take more risk. They would stop and smell the roses and they would do something that would outlive them. And I think that's a good framework for how we make decisions and how we spend our money. That is so good, Daryl. It's been such a joy to interview you here and co-host for Patty and Lisa. It's just been such an honor of mine here on uh, Girlfriend It. I definitely encourage your, the listeners to go find Daryl's book. We are so excited to have had this time with you. Thank you so much, Daryl. Thank you again for uh, letting me have you for the hour and uh, talk about your great work. Erica, thank you so much. You're a real pro and uh, it's a pleasure to work with you and, and I'm honored as well. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.